Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming up on episode 315 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Mazda CX-90 plug-in hybrid, the 2024 Polestar 2, the Ford F-150 Raptor R and Hyundai Palisade, driving the Lotus Elettra, Xiaopong P7, and Zeker 001. And Mercedes unveils the CLA concept in Munich, along with BMW's Neue Class and the VW ID GTI. All that and more coming up next. This is episode 315 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Samet from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakeman from the Road Reflected Podcast. And I am Roberto Baldwin from SAE International. And Mr. Baldwin, what have you been driving? Oh, you know, cars and stuff. Uh, So I uh, went up to Colorado, the Denver, Colorado, up in the mountains and drove the uh, brand, not brand new, refreshed, updated, anyway, 2024 Polestar 2. Um, The Polestar is like a car, this is the most dynamic, like most changed car (laughs) I think <laughs> out there because you know, they they put it out and then like a few months later like hey we made an update now it goes faster and they put it <laughs> out there and like oh hey we did another update now it has more range and they're like oh hey we, and, and a lot of it's you know a lot of them have been software some of them have been you know the uh, where 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 the power is hitting the wheels you know I think originally they had an all wheel drive and a rear wheel drive but then when it actually came to market it was a all wheel drive and a front wheel drive. And now they have a for 2024 a um, all-wheel drive and a rear-wheel drive, and so I drove both of those vehicles. And I'm just here to tell you, just get the rear-wheel drive, <laughs> <laughs> unless you absolutely, positively need all-wheel drive for you know you, you live somewhere where it's really snowy, um, and you 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 don't want to like splurge on like like uh, snow tires. You'd rather get all seasons. Uh, sure, get get all-wheel drive. <clears throat> Um, but if you, uh, everything else, just get the rear wheel drive because, and here it's, it's not as fast. I mean, that's fine. Sure. Whatever. But you get, uh, 320 miles of range versus 276. And the charging rate is, uh, hold on, let me pull it up. It's, it's quicker. Uh, the charging, um, rate is 250 kilowatts at a DC fast charging station versus 155 because they're two because the okay so the the all-wheel drive version still has an lg chem uh battery the uh the rear wheel drive version has the catl one ah. so it's it's a different battery okay. uh, yeah so yes yeah, 155 is in the sneeze at, at it's not horrible um you know when you look at the charging time they're both the same uh well they're not even the same uh size batteries to be honest uh the all-wheel drive has a 78 kilowatt hour capacity battery the rear wheel drive has 82 so it has four mores four more kilowatt hours of capacity um, but charging time between is uh according to polestar from 10 to 80 percent for the rear wheel drive 28 minutes all wheel drive 34 minutes so it's only really you know six extra minutes in a perfect world you know 
apples to apples <laughs> sort of thing. If you happen to ch plug both of them at the same time and they're both charging at capacity, um, you don't even have a six minute differential. But over the life of the car and blah blah blah, you know, those, those six, six minutes, minutes add up. Those six they do minutes lots add up. of yeah, six, six minutes over time here, is six lots minutes of there. minutes. Yeah, yeah, so a little bit of here, a little bit of there. Ten uh, charges, of, you're talking a whole hour. Yeah, um, and both of, all of them have 11 kilowatt hour uh, charging on AC, so charging at home 11 kilowatts. Um, it's but it's, it's and you know that's the very technical reason why you should get it. Uh, the real reason is it's just more fun to drive. <laughs> <Three> <laughs> will drive. You can turn off. You can you, you can turn off the the traction control, and you can you know you can you can you can uh, get the the back end to sort of slide out a little, little bit. Yeah, you can drift a little. Um, you know, and you can kind of do that with the with with the uh, um, all wheel drive version. But you're going to save like six thousand bucks between these two vehicles, and uh, it's. Yeah, it's such it's just a fun you know, about six thousand five hundred between the two. Um but I, I don't know. I mean the rear wheel drive just a lot more fun. It's not as fast, but you know, slow car fast. Uh, zero to sixty for rear wheel drive is five point nine seconds, zero to sixty for all wheel drive is four point three, so it's substantially faster. But how often are you doing But, but five point nine <laughs> seconds is not I mean Exactly. It, it is it's not, not slow. slow. Yeah. It's not slow at all. That's that's and it's, that's the crazy. It's only because we've had all these modern EVs that are going zero to sixty in two two and a half seconds, that the bar has been shifted, but it's been shifted in a way that we don't actually need and probably don't want on public roads. It's yeah, weirdly we like it's a shift that's an unreasonable shift. It's like this is where we are now, like you said, Sam. Should we be there? <laughs> yeah. Do we? You know. Do we? Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Do we? You don't need to be going that fast, to be honest. You should be happy with. <laughs> just be happy with what, what we have. 5.9 seconds. At like 20 years ago, 5.9 seconds in anything that was under <laughs> like $150,000 was like bonkers. Or right. you bought a car and you just worked on it and you shoved superchargers on it. And then every 10th run, the compression would blow the engine up and you have to like rebuild the engine. <laughs> um, <clears throat> So yeah, so it's that's it's yeah, three hundred and twenty miles of range. That's I mean that's, that's huge. Good. That's 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 impressive. I mean yeah, you know, and that you know that is probably, you know, arguably the only real functional shortcoming of the Polestar two, you know, in its original form was you know, the range the range was not bad, but you know, if you compare it to you know, yeah. a Model 3 or something like that, you know, it was definitely on the weaker side. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, again, it comes down to, like, how often are you are you going to be using that much range? Uh, this weekend, I, I had to go to um, Laguna Seca to get a ride in the CRV Beast. And I took the the, the Kona because we're, we're, we, have, we don't have, we haven't done enough miles for our lease. I'm like, oh, we got to start driving this thing. <laughs> It's like 120 miles, and so I drove down there. I got there, you know, I get there a little early because that's how I am. I'm awkwardly early, everything. And I just pulled in. I got, you know, I charged it up for like 20 minutes, and then I drove home, and it was fine. And it, it charges like 76 or something. I don't even think that high, like 60. It, it's not very quick, but it was fine. Um, and so, you know, fine. it was fine. It's got 250 miles of range for that car. So 220, I mean – how often does that happen in that vehicle? Not very, like maybe twice the entire time we've owned it. Because <laughs> most of the time you just drive it around town. So I think most yeah. people are just and that's, driving it around And that's town. typical. That's fairly typical yeah. driving. 
yeah. So yeah. So the 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 Polestar two, they're both better than before. They're both you know, it, it, I liked the Polestar two before. I really like it now. Um, the starting price for the um, for the single motor uh, is for nine thousand nine hundred dollars. Um, and the starting price for the long range, they're both long range. They don't even have, I don't even know why they put long range anymore because <laughs> they don't have another. I think it's just, there's the, no unlong range. No unlong. It's like, it's like maximum strength aspirin or something. Like there's no <laughs> yeah. regular strength. I, I think about, overseas. Now that you say that, like, are you ever like, I want, no, I don't want the aspirin. That's the really good stuff. Give me the stuff that might maybe help. Not the stuff that will definitely yeah. help. <laughs> well, I think overseas, they may actually offer a version of the Polestar 2 with a slightly smaller battery. Yeah, but we don't know that. Yeah. The average person doesn't know that. I, th- I still think it's like maximum strength. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maximum um, strength Polestar. Um, so the Polestar 2, the, the, the dual motor, um, 55300 Now, here's the, the the weird thing is that, not weird, here's the thing that might push you if you're a big fan of uh, driver's assistance systems. Um, the The dual motor has pilot pack standard. So oh. the drivers like the like the full driver assistance mm-hmm. system they have it's standard uh, what's nice you know both uh, these vehicles will not be built here in the united states but polestar is very they, they know how how the system works they're, they're talking about leases on these so you're not gonna you know get there and be like oh i can't get the 7500 if you if you're down with leases which i'm a big fan of especially for electric vehicles because everything keeps changing <laughs> Um, do you do you see a lot of Polestars? I mean, you're in the EV Central they, in California, are, Robbie. Are they common? Polestars, there? they are crazy common here. Are this they is the really? number one market for them, actually. No kidding. Yeah, I asked them like, I don't know, like six months ago. I'm like, is the number one market the Bay Area? And someone's like, no. And then they asked somebody up, up. You're like, yeah. It's like LA. It's Gosh, like here that we, I think LA and some other places. And well, it's you know, I think it's the silly. only area. We are where... silly with with Polestars. Yeah, and I think it's the only area where you will find two Polestar stores in relatively close proximity. There's one in in San Jose, and there's one in Marin. Yeah, and they're 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 building another one. They're Are building they? like yeah. another wow. one's like in Sacramento, and then they're yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they know where people are buying these. And so, and I swear no um, one even knows what they are here. I've been in the car with like people on occasion, and a Polestar goes by, and like, what is that? Like it's a pull star. Uh, wow. Like it's like this unicorn that wait. like the average consumer has no idea what the heck it is in New Hampshire, apparently. Oh, okay. I thought it was like another automotive journalist. I'm like, oh no. no I mean like just regular people. <laughs> like most people said Ford drives by people know Ford, right? Polestar drives yeah, yeah. by, they're like, what is that thing? Yeah, what they don't know what it is. Space car. All right. That's, I, that's I mean, unless unless you are a longtime Volvo fan, you probably would you know, I mean, Polestar's a, a relatively new brand is a standalone brand. You know, it's only a couple of years old. Um, they haven't sold that many cars. They haven't had, they don't have that many showrooms. Uh, you know, if you were a longtime Volvo fan, then you probably know what Polestar is because they started off as a brand. They start, they, the company started off in the mid nineties building Volvo race cars. And then they started doing tuned Volvos for the road. And then eventually Volvo just bought Polestar and brought them in house. And, you know, so if you, if you go buy a Volvo, most of the Volvo models are available in a Polestar engineered variant, which is, you know, slightly higher performance, you know, better, better brakes, better tune, you know, differently tuned suspension. And of course, bright yellow seatbelts. That makes all the difference. More kind of gold seatbelts, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the Polestar too, if you um, happen to live near me, (laughs) you've seen them all over the place. (laughs) Um, 
if you uh, if you if you haven't, um, then I don't know. It's it. They're, yeah, they're all over the place. To be honest, they're sort of they're it's it's sort of bonkers. Um, how much how many there are here versus you know you go anywhere else on the planet and you're like oh okay. And we'll we'll probably start seeing a lot more Polestar next year after the the three and the four uh, arrive here. Mm. Yeah, they're gonna they're 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 expanding um, their sales uh, footprint. Um, they have these little stores. Um, what's nice is it's kind of like Tesla, where you're not haggling with someone, so you're not gonna go, oh, I want a Polestar two, and you're gonna get there and it's gonna be like a fifteen thousand dollar like like markup. It's gonna be whatever the Polestar two costs. And, so and I remember when you, people were asking, like, oh, should I get a Tesla or should I get a Polestar? I'm like, well, I'd like to Polestar. And both of them are not going to rip you off if you go buy them. <laughs> and, and unlike Tesla, you know, Polestar doesn't, you know, just randomly change its prices from week to week. Yeah, that's, a, that's another weird – you're like, oh, man, how, what, how many do we – They, they do tend to be a little more consistent with their pricing. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Nicole, yes. you've been driving. I have been driving several things that are very unlike each other. The first one I'll talk about, I had the Ford F-150 Raptor. I feel like it's like the car for Pirate Day. What are you driving? The Raptor. Um, which is which – is, And just in case that wasn't clear to people, that is the Raptor R, not yes, the, R. the supercharged V8. Yes. So it's it's this is it's ridiculous. There, there's your review. Okay, okay. next vehicle. <laughs> it, it is it is such a small use case where it makes sense for anyone. And even those people, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense for you. But what you're doing doesn't make sense. So like, but this is the car for your craziness or truck for your craziness. Um, it has a 5.2 liter supercharged V8 with a modest, modest 700 horsepower and 640 pound feet of torque. So we compared to a TRX. I know, it's just like it's whatever. Like, why even bother? Uh, but it is, it is ridiculously fun. It, and the thing is, like, you're, you're buying this truck because you, well, you might buy it just because it looks freaking cool. I mean, it's amazing, it's impressive. It is like ridiculous sitting in my driveway. Um, but like, there's a very narrow number of people who are live somewhere where they can take full advantage of what this does. Like, can you go, do you live where there's a desert? No? Okay. <laughs> you can't make use of this the way, you know, that narrows it down to people who live in Robbie's end of the world or who live in, you know, the Southwest. There's, there's a narrow range of people who can truly open this up and go crazy, go nuts with it. Um, and if you're one of those people, have at it because it is really, really fun. For the rest of us, it just looks really cool and could do really cool stuff if we could get to that kind of open desert expanse where you could drive stupidly fast and jump it and do all the crazy things that you want to do in this, but you cannot do it on city streets. I mean, you could, but they're going to arrest you. So, so much fun to drive this. The thing is it the impracticality of it though. I mean, I love this truck, but at the same time, like this is just so ridiculous. Um, it's huge. It's not just that it's high. I mean, I swear to God, the door sill was like at my like waist level. It's so high. Um, but it's big enough that really, if you were driving this on any kind of congested environment whatsoever, like you're just in heavy traffic on the highway, suddenly when you're stopped, everyone feels very, very, very close. If you're, you know, turning on, forget city streets, you know, even on country roads, it's like coming about, like, it's just, it's very big. It's, it is huge. And trying to park it, if they, like, if I actually, I had to fly out. I didn't take it. I took my own car to the airport. I thought there is no way on this earth that I am taking this into a parking garage in Boston and then through the crowded, congested streets of Boston, trying to get out at five o'clock when my flight was supposed to land. I was like, no, 
I'm not torturing myself like that because it's just too big. So, I mean, it sounds like I'm bashing it, but it's, it, it is great for the people who can use it the way. But if you live anywhere where you're going to be driving this every day and you're going to the city, this is, this is a lot of truck, but it has all the capability you could possibly want. It is a desert racing truck. That is what this is for. Um, or because it looks cool. I remember a couple of years ago, my brother-in-law was looking for a truck. He's never owned a truck in his life. He's owned actually a big charger fan and Mustang fan. So he's a muscle car guy. And he had texted me and said, Oh, what do you know about the Raptor? And I'm like, what you're, you're buying a, you're buying a Raptor, John, why are you buying that? And he's like, oh, have you seen it? I'm like, yeah, but my question remains, why are you buying that? I'm like, the, the most you're going to put it do is take that to the dump. What, why are you buying? He's like, oh, but it's great. I'm like, have you looked at the price of that? And he's like, no, I'm like, look at the price. He's like, I'm not getting a Raptor because now I don't have the price in front of me, but this is not cheap. It's like, it starts, I thought it was on the sheet and it's not, I apologize. I can see Sam Googling for me. Um, so it is not the most, it's not the, it is in no way, shape or form an affordable vehicle. It is, it is a premium racing off-road truck for people who do that kind of stuff. And if you're not that person, you're paying an awful lot for a truck that is that is expensive. Did you get the price yet, Sam? I can see you Googling. Working, working it. Okay, wait, let's see if I can get it. I too am Googling Ford F-150. I got the regular Raptor. The regular right. Raptor. So, oh, let's see. So the, the standard Raptor with, yes. with just a, a relatively mild 450 horsepower <laughs> what EcoBoost else? V6 uh, starts at 76775 Okay. Um, yeah, let's I'm see. I'm trying, to, I know, I'm trying to get to the Raptor R. Why am I having such a hard... Ford, your sight is very slow today. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to pull uh, it up. Ford. Wait, Ford. Here we go. Wait, I'm almost there. No, I can only get up to Raptor. I'm only seeing up to the seventy thousand no, dollar Raptor. If, if you if you click in, oh, um, here we go. Wait, you, then you can select the five point two liter, um, which then, is as uh, scroll we're scrolling all, all down, the down the same thing. You can scroll faster. One hundred nine thousand three hundred and forty five dollars. One hundred nine thousand dollars. So that's like that is firmly in luxury car territory. And although this isn't like luxury in terms of being this smooth, elegant, refined wood trims, leather, this leather, that it's luxury in that it does its capability is its luxury. The, the capability that it has is what makes it a $105,000 truck. Um, you know, there's a 12 inch touchscreen you got Apple CarPlay and Android auto. It, it's just, it's huge. I mean, and you could put linebackers in the back of this, no problem. Um, it, it it's just, it even has a it, cookie table. It even has a cookie table, which I love. Like, you know, you have a little table. Um, although I had half a dozen different people say to me, what if you suddenly need to, you, you need to put the car in park? And I'm like, you have to be in park to do this in the first place. Like, cause the gear yeah. shift goes down. I'm like, they don't let you do this while you're driving down the highway, guys. It's not how this works. <laughs> so what I still think is an amazing feature, I joke about it being a cookie table, but just to have a table in your vehicle, like if you just, you know, you're stopping and you just want to stop and grab something to eat, or especially if you are using this off-road, you're doing the off-road thing, you're you're kind of living in your car for a little while. You don't just tend to drive to the desert, drive two miles and drive you back again. You go to again. Burning Man and you get stuck. Right? You might as well have something somewhere to- You're going to well, have a table. You know what though? If, if, you, if you went to Burning Man with this thing, with the tires that come on it from the factory, you will be stuck because oh, these yeah. are not You'll mud totally terrain tires. They're not mud terrain tires. These are, these are all terrains. They're not mud terrain. I know a guy. We know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> a guy yeah, with a Raptor? We, we do. We do a guy who he had some problems. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, these are similar. These are the same kind of tires that you'll find on a Bronco Raptor. Yeah. They're all terrain tires. They do not mix well with mud. 
If you go in mud with these tires, you you will instantly this- spin the tires, and then they will just be caked, and they will be like they will look like racing slicks. So is this of like- zero traction? Is this like you shouldn't like the, the gremlins thing? Don't put the cute little guy in the water. What is the thing after midnight? Yes. You can't feed yeah. him after midnight. Don't feed take it in the mud or your truck is going nowhere. Is this the same yeah. well, kind of warning? I you can do it, but the, you won't be happy. <laughs> you got to buy mud tires. Mm-hmm. You got to so, get those. That's the Ford F-150 Raptor, which is an absolute <laughs> hoot. And if you are... If you are that case scenario, if you either a have a hundred thousand dollars to burn and you just love how it looks, because there's there is truly nothing wrong with buying a vehicle because you can afford it and you like it and it has no practical use in your life. Like this makes me happy, does what I need it to do, and I have fun driving around in it. Then knock yourself out. Or if you're planning, you're someone who really does go off in the desert and drive fast and do all that kind of stuff. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's the vehicle you want. I'm curious um, how much fun you have with that car when you're just driving to Target every day. Well, that's the thing. Like, I was mostly driving it around, right? And although I was yeah, getting like, – every right. time I stopped, I was getting the, like, from bros in there what all look like tiny little trucks now that I'm driving this thing. Like, nice truck, lady. Um, so, I mean, it it's it looks good. It's fun to drive. It sounds incredible. But I don't, I don't know that I would want to drive – I mean, as a daily driver, unless oh God, my no. – my not daily driver included going out in the desert and racing this. I wouldn't want this because it just isn't, it isn't a practical daily driver at all. Not even, if you, but if you live like out in the middle of nowhere yes, and you're like, Oh, sometimes I just go driving around for funsies. Yeah. This is, yes. your, just, this is your jam. Exactly. But if you're not that person you're driving around for funsies, then it is not the car for you. I mean, it is. And r- driving it around on the highways, it actually was, was surprisingly, well-mannered for such an off-road truck with these huge tires and stuff. Like I was driving around, I expected that super bounce and sway where you're like, whoa, yeah. when you go like where well, you're and steering And the previous back. Gen Raptor was like that. It was yeah. very soft. Yeah, they, they, they were trying to beat catch up with the Ram when it comes to ride quality, and they, they did it the wrong way. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm curious, um, did you – did you even bother to you know check the fuel economy on the Raptor R? <laughs> Why bother? No. If you can afford $109,000. I, I, I know it's ridiculous. I didn't even look. I didn't even look because I know it's ridiculous. No, I did not check fuel. Yeah. That was not on my list. I like that you just like leaned into the microphone. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, like a congressional like hearing. You're like, yes. No, you? Senator, I did not. <laughs> for, for what it's worth for anybody that happens to be interested – the uh, EPA fuel economy rating for the Raptor R. Oh, God. Um, 10 miles per gallon city, 15 <laughs> highway, and 12 combined. <laughs> oh, um, my gosh. Which means you're never going to get that because that's like the perfect. No. That's yeah, perfect you'll, be, world you'll be lucky fuel to. Economy. You'll be lucky to hit 10. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking, I, I can't imagine that you would hit 10. I can't imagine. I mean, I guess you could if you drove it. You're driving really slow up your dirt road. The lightest foot on that gas pedal. Like, I should accelerate gingerly like there's an egg beneath my foot. Like, really, really light. That's the only way you could get that time, I think. Now, there there is one other scenario where a vehicle like the Raptor uh, would actually, you know, work really well, which is dealing with Michigan potholes. (laughs) Because you get those 37-inch tires. You got tons of sidewall. So, yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. the, the the sidewall on those tires is easily going to swallow up even the worst Michigan potholes. Yes. So see, Which, so desert racing by Robbie or Michigan for potholes. That's yeah. it. Those are the two people who should be buying this. Everybody else, move along. <laughs> this is not. Well, I'm gonna I'm you. gonna give a shout out real quick to Jonathan Gitlin over at Ars Technica wrote something about 
really small sidewalls. He, he ended up with a Ionic 5. He had small sidewalls. He had big wheels. And he got a flat tire. I've had two of these vehicles like in the last six months. Well, maybe six. I don't know how long things happen. But I've had them with like, small sidewalls. You hit something, boom, flat tire. Boom, flat tire. Let's stop. We don't need the big wheels. Don't get the big wheels anymore. Get the smaller wheels, get the larger sidewall, because you're just going to be a happier person. Like a car is going to ride better, and you're less likely to get <laughs> when you hit a pothole to just have uh, and, it blow and that's, up. That, that is actually one of the reasons why <clears throat> when we bought our, our Civic, um, you know, I actually opted for the EX model instead of the Sport because the Sport was on 18-inch wheels with – shallower sidewalls the 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 ex is on 17s and wanted a little more sidewall and even with that extra sidewall you know i have uh i've had to replace two tires because of damage you know where, where you get a big bulge in the sidewall i just uh, replaced one a couple of weeks ago uh where there was a big bulge in the sidewall from hitting a pothole and you can't like if you get a hole in your tire like along the tread they take it in twenty to fifty bucks or whatever. They yeah. if you get a hole in the sidewall, that's it. That tire's shot. They can't they can't do anything. So yeah. now you got to buy a brand new and, tire. And well, it's and it's worse than that because there's a a very high probability that if you do that, you're also going to damage the wheel. And now you're looking not just a couple uh, hundred bucks for you know hundred 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 to two hundred dollars for a tire, yeah. but also several hundred dollars for a new alloy wheel. So it becomes very 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 expensive very fast. Yeah. So yeah, so get the get the the smaller wheel, the larger sidewall. That's that's that's, that's, that's Robbie's what I'm PSA for the day. That's my PSA to the day, for the Robbie's day. Robbie's PSA. Uh, yeah, and, when and if, you're that, an that, e- that, yeah. if you're buying an EV, you know those even more smaller, so because the smaller wheels are when you, as, as wheels get bigger, they get a lot heavier, and that adds a lot of rotational inertia and really cuts down your range. Like on the Ionic Six, you know, if you get the the rear drive Ionic Six with uh, the eighteen inch wheels, you get you know it's rated at something like three hundred and sixty miles of range, and with the twenty inch wheels, that drops to I think two seventy. See, yep. Smaller wheels, everybody. Yep. Smaller wheels are the way to go. It doesn't seem that way, but it is. In your brain, because it looks cooler. The bigger it does wheels, look the smaller. Cooler, it but... looks cooler, but. Anyway, Jonathan Gitling, he wrote up a whole article about something I think a lot of us have been complaining about around yeah. the old Ars Technica. We have all been complaining about that. Okay, <laughs> all of us, but especially Robbie. Okay, you ready for the other vehicle I drove, which takes the other end on practicality? I had the Hyundai Palisade. Oh, that sounds which, about, about equivalent to the Raptor. Totally the same. Totally the same. Can, customer, can go off road. Same it's got four case. wheels. Right. Got, I was jumping in I over the weekend. It. <laughs> I took the, the Palisade off road when they did the drive program somewhere. Yes, I don't they remember did. where. Asheville. And they had us do the dirt. Yeah, and we drove off road on a, on just a dirt road. It was right. So yeah, which was, is really what most people do anyway. But then there I was got, a dog who like wanted to bark at it. It was great. I got <laughs> reprimanded by the guy because on our dirt road there was a tiny little bit. I don't remember. There was a corner and there was mud. It was roughly this deep. You guys can't see it, but I'm holding my fingers maybe an inch apart. There was mud like this deep. And oh. I went too fast through the mud because the guy on the the guy that was spotting us for whatever we had a spotter did the like slow down thing. And I'm like, I'm not. 
it's like an inch. We're fine. And the next time the walk, he's like, okay, guys, I need you all to take it a little easier on this corner here. Uh, there's some mud here and we need to be safe. And I'm like, dude, they didn't so, want, they just didn't want to clean the car. Well, there was, yeah, yeah. That, that might be it too. <laughs> Maybe, I think it, was mostly... it, was, it was like an inch of mud and it was for like three feet. I'm like, there's no, it was nothing. Whatever. Yeah. I remember. It, driving, yeah. It was but there like, was, it was a like, dog. Remember the dog? I do remember the dog. That was the highlight of that little dog. The dog was like, roof, roof, roof. And then just watched. He didn't run like in front of anyone. Oh. Just was, he was out front of his little house. There was like a house yeah, or something. Yeah. Or some, <laughs> it was like a house like on the hill. Randomly. And it was like a house and a dog. Hi, puppy. Yeah, I do remember that. This time there was no, uh, there were no puppies on my drive route, which is, I guess now in oh. retrospect, kind of sad. Um, but I had this, I was in uh, Disney World and this is the, Car that they gave me down in Florida to have for like a long weekend. We went to visit friends. And, you know, I had to point out the first thing. So these friends are actually from Wales and we don't get to see them very often, which is the only reason on God's green earth that you would get me into Florida in August because they happen uh, to be there. And I was like, well, if I want to see them, I go to Florida. It is a pretty so, miserable place in August. I've it been, is hot. I've been but there in August. Right. But I was like, well, to oh. see them, I will do this. But so we drove them around a little bit, too. And it was funny. The first thing they commented on when they got in the car was how huge the infotainment screen seemed. Like that is a big screen. So like stood out. That was like a standout thing for them. The large infotainment screen. So I feel like with their Welsh, with their Welsh accent, with their Welsh accent. And the one guy, he speaks Welsh. Like they they can. So when you go to Welsh, you can take Welsh. You have to take that as a language in school. Like we take French or Spanish or whatever, but you can even go to a school where they teach everything in Welsh. It's like Like an an immersion immersion. school. Yeah. Yeah. And he did that. So he can speak Welsh fluently and, even when he's speaking English, I'm sometimes like, wait, what, Owen? Huh? What? Mm-hmm. Um, so he knows how to handle long strings of consonants? Oh, my gosh. I would, like, point to the sign when we were over even. there. And he'd say it. And I'm like, nothing that came that you just pronounced looks like what was on that sign. But <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> so anyway, so we were driving around with them in the Palisade, which was great. I mean, we had uh, five of us in that car. And as a testament to that space in the third row, he has a very tall son. His son's easily over six feet. His son just climbed right back. And was totally fine. Was not squished. Did Ooh. not feel like it was too tight. So he climbed right in back, no problem. Um, and they figured out how to get in the back, no problem. It was the end of the day. It was kind of dark. Everyone's kind of tired, and they just pushed the button, boom, pulled the seat right forward. So it was good to see. That's a, that's a big deal because there's mm-hmm. more than like I'll get to a car. This right? is my job, and I'm like, how mm-hmm. do I get the stupid? Like, what right? am I pushing? What am I doing wrong? <laughs> you stand there like you accidentally just fold the seat back down yeah, flat. Just clunk, you're like. You're like Oh, how do I? No, and no, it moves. Yeah. No, I put that. No, I have to put it back up, and then I have to move. For, no, wrong latch. Oh, yeah. now I've flattened it out the right. Like you can do a million different things and not get it. They got it because it's just one button. I'm like, good job with the one button. Bing, and it tips forward and slides forward. Uh, so he crawled right in back. So it was it was a great car. And you know, I have the calligraphy, which is the fancy pants trim of the lineup, um, and it has captain's chairs in the second row. So Ooh. it's a great. Like I always, I like captain's chairs. I feel like if you really need that extra re- person all the time, okay, knock yourself out and get the bench seats. But the captain's chairs are so much nicer in any car that offers them. They make it better. If you got kids, it creates the imaginary dividing line so your kids can't fight over the can't middle. Fight over it even gives middle. you a place where you could actually put in a physical barrier if you Yes, yeah. a piece of plexi like it was the middle yeah. of COVID, whoosh, right down the middle of the car. Right down the middle of the car. <laughs> um, don't look at each other. Don't, don't speak to each, each other. Don't touch each other. Don't poke each other. Don't throw food at each other. Um, you can electrify so, the plexiglass. So they don't yeah, so if they touch <laughs> it, yeah. Or you get a little warning up front, child, playing with glass. Anyhow, so it makes it lets kids have a little bit of space. But for adults, it's just more comfortable. It's like when you're an adult and you sit in the captain's chairs, it's kind of like you're sitting – 
you're getting the same treatment as those up front. Like it's yeah. it's a much more comfortable, especially if you're taller. But imagine a, a Robbie, the Robbies of the world, like captain's chairs better than big flat benches. I do, seats. I do love captain's chairs. Yes. And then you have that little area. Sometimes they'll have like a little. Uh, an additional like sort of center console for right the, some of them have little consoles that they're like removable in some cars you don't have that candy yeah, in they, it. Yeah. yeah like the the nissan pathfinder and infinity qx60 have that yes. second row center console that you can take it out if you yep. you know, if you want to have that pass through yes you can take it all together or you can leave it there so it's kind of nice um and it does and even the pass through like if you have kids who are coming in the car and kids you know they can't reach up to get to the you know the button on the seat they can just climb in and walk down the middle and now your kids are in the the bat third row so i think it does make for a better experience unless you really really need to have that extra seat in the second row i'm I'm a fan of the captain's chairs um i also like that they have usb-c ports instead of usb-a Oh, that made the, me happy. Future. That, mm-hmm, the future. The future, future. Yeah, I mean, most most automakers are transitioning. There's still a bunch of vehicles that have both A yeah. and C, but increasingly, as new models come out, they're coming out with C only, no A. Because the thing is, even if you're like, well, right now I use USB A, yeah, but you're going to have your car for more than a year or two, probably. So very shortly, you're going to really want that USB-C port because the A is going to be obsolete sometime while you own this car. So you want the faster charging that comes from the C. So I like that. All um, your new nerdy things plus, will come with a C yeah. plus cable. Yeah. USB-C cables are, I mean, you can get them for a few bucks on Amazon. Right. So I have just, one that just does get a new, both. Just, just get a you know, five pack of cables for you know 12 bucks. Yeah. I got one that has like a little adapter on the end and it's chained to the actual cable yeah. so I can go back and forth depending on what the what the situation is. So that's my interim cable. Um, and so, and the other thing on here, so pricing on the Palisade base trim starts at about 36,000. Top trim is about 52,000. So you have a pretty good spread. Of course, you're getting a lot, you know, what you, you get the same, it's nice in any trim level because it's, it's a Hyundai and it's a Palisade. It's a nice family car. But the thing is, you're just getting, things get a little bit, you know, you get leather seats, you get a little bit more premium look and feel when you move up the lineup. So I feel like it's a, you know, if you if you don't have the budget and you have to go for the base trim, you don't feel like you're totally suffering. You don't have that sense of like, oh my gosh, I really wish I had a few more dollars to spend on this car because this is awful. It doesn't, Hyundai's generally don't feel like garbagey <laughs> and cheap when you get to the base trims. They still feel decent. Yeah, you don't have the fancy leather seats and you have some things you sacrifice, but it's not a sacrifice where it makes you dread your car for the next 10 years. Um, but if you have the money and you can afford the more expensive, the calligraphy, uh, then you can you can do that as well. So I'm a big fan of the Palisade. You know, like I said, drove it. You know, when we all drove it down in Asheville, I've had it for a loaner a couple of times, and every time I get it, I'm like, I still like it. It's not getting old. I still like this car. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4:55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly. An AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. 
Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Well, I also had a uh, large-ish three-row um, crossover. Um, this was the Mazda CX-90 plug-in hybrid, uh, which launched earlier this year. Um, so this is the first, the first plug-in hybrid that Mazda has offered in North America. Um, the CX-90 is the first... I think it's the first model that has their new inline six-cylinder engine. It's a 3.3-liter six-cylinder, but that's not in the plug-in hybrid. The plug-in hybrid has the 2.5-liter uh, four-cylinder that we're familiar with in a lot of Mazdas over the last decade. Um, and it's got a 100-kilowatt uh, electric motor uh, that is embedded in the transmission. Um, and it's officially rated... If you look at the the EPA label, it's it's officially rated at 26 miles of electric driving range, and 56 uh, or 25 miles per gallon on gas only when you're when the battery's depleted and you're you're driving on on hybrid mode. Um, I took it out on my usual <clears throat> drive loop that I use for plug-in hybrids, and I actually got it to go 31 miles before oh. the engine came on. Cool. So you know if you're if, if you're not flooring it constantly. Um, you can you can get it to go quite a ways on electricity, and you can do most of your driving on electricity alone if you plug it in every night. Um, the CX ninety, you know, following in the the path of what Mazda has been doing for the past, I don't know how many years now, you know, better better part of the last decade, you know, is a definite shift towards a more premium feel, um, you know, slightly more premium pricing, uh, but. You know, this one was the um, the prim- it was had the premium plus package on it, um, and it was in rhodium white. I would have preferred one of the reds, either the Soul Crystal red or the I forget the new darker red that they have that they launched. Oh, I forget what one. the new name is. Yeah, it's more burgundy ish. Yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, but you know, the white still looks great. You know, it, it's a great design. Uh, you know, it's very much in keeping with Mazda's current design ethos, you know, kind of the, the smoother surfaces, you know, it looks like a pebble that's been in a creek, you know, for many, many years, you know, gradually getting smoothed That was a very eloquent down. description, a pebble that's been in a creek well, for many that's, years. Well, that's because if you if you go to a Mazda event and you hear the designers talking about their, their design strategy, that that is the, they the image. they say it? That, yeah, they, they've used, they've, they'll show that kind of image. They'll show a creek. I was going to give you credit for that, Sam. You should have just said, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm like a writer and stuffs. So. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it, it's, you know, moving away from sharp edges. Um, 
you know, but they're still contouring to the surface and, you know, you don't really see it as much in the white, in the, in the reds, the darker colors, you see more of that, that contouring in the surface. Um, but you know, for, it's a very elegant looking vehicle, um, you know, compared to the CX-9 that it replaced, it's actually almost the same size. It's like within an inch or two in all dimensions. Um, but the proportions have changed quite a bit because the CX-9 had a transverse mounted engine in the front, you know, for front wheel drive and or all wheel drive. This has a longitudinally mounted engine. The hood is longer, you know, like we've seen with the uh, the current generation Mazda 3 and, and other models. You know, they've gone to a little bit longer hood, moving the windshield back a little bit. Um, so, uh the the interior even though it's the same basic size as before as the cx9 um it it actually does feel slightly roomier but not not a whole lot it's it's pretty close uh but it you know it does feel more premium um and if you put it up against you know other premium three-row crossovers like say the volvo um uh, xc90 um, which <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if that Mazda was thinking about that when they named, uh, this thing, you know, went from XC to CX, CX cause, yeah. cause that's kind of the, the natural competitor here, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of BMW X5, um, you know, or Audi, uh, Q7, uh, you know, it, it does have a very premium feel. It, it feels like it's in the same kind of class and segment with those vehicles, it's got really good driving dynamics, as you would expect of a Mazda, um, and uh, but it's it's also consider it's despite the fact that you know compared to its main compared to Mazda's mainstream routes, it is you know it is a little more premium priced than it would have been say ten or fifteen years ago, but it's still you know a great value compared to those European uh, premium models. Um, this one that I had, um, that, you know, which was pretty much loaded, this premium plus pack, <coughs> the, uh, <coughs> the black Napa leather interior was 56,000 or sorry, uh, altogether $58,920, um, which, you know, is about where the Volvo or the Audi or BMW start. That's the starting point for those mm -hmm. vehicles. And this is, you know, pretty much loaded up. I think. I think I think I priced it out once before, you know, earlier on. Um, if you get like all the available options, I think with the the three point three liter uh, turbo six cylinder, you can get it to just over sixty thousand uh, dollars, which you know puts this you know very competitively priced for a premium three row crossover. Um, you know, as I said, it's lovely to look at. Um, you know, very pleasant place to to spend time. Uh, in the cabin, this one didn't have the um, the the drop stitched uh, stuff on the um, on the dashboard, which is available as an option. Uh, you know, which is uh, kind of a an even fancier kind of look to it. Uh, this one was just just leather and wood, um, but I really really like spending time in this car, um, despite the fact that I you know generally you know am more averse to larger vehicles. Um, you know, and I wouldn't personally buy a three row crossover for myself because I have no need for one. I don't need to carry people around. You know, I would go with something smaller. Um, and, and that's what I do, 
but you know, <laughs> if I if I had a need for something like this, you know, this is definitely you know a little more expensive than the Palisade. Uh, it's arguably in the same size class, although you know you can get uh, a CX ninety, you know, at that you know sub fifty thousand dollar, you know, in the high forties, you know, so you can get it priced, you know, in the same range as something like the the Palisade calligraphy. Um, it you know in it's the design, you know, compared to the Palisade is a little more restrained. Uh, it's a little more subtle, um, you know, and if that's what you're looking for in a premium luxury vehicle, you know, if you don't want, you know, the, the Palisade's a little flashier looking, a little more chromey. I think that the Mazda is sort of like almost more refined in its yeah. styling than the Palisade. They're both very lovely and can be very premium. But if you want something a little more refined that feels more like, Feels like a more expensive luxury car, yeah. kind of. Mazda it, delivers that. You know, it's all a matter of personal Preference. taste, which, whichever yeah. whichever one you like. I mean, I think you'll be happy in either one of these vehicles. They're both both excellent vehicles. Um, I would, <clears throat> if I was buying a a, a, a largest three row crossover, I would probably lean towards the Mazda because I do like that more uh, refined, you know, more subtle look. Uh, but you know, it, if you if you prefer the the other extreme, then you know the Hyundai is a great choice as well. Um, and the Hyundai is arguably maybe a little bit roomier inside, especially in the third row. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you need to use the third row uh, regularly, you'd probably want to lead to, lean towards the Hyundai or maybe the Kia uh, Telluride. Um, but you know, for for what this is, you know, I think it's you know it it's a it's a good value compared relative to what it seems to be trying to compete with. Um, and like I said, if you opt for the plug-in hybrid, you know, you can do a lot of your daily driving, probably most of your daily driving just on electricity. If you plug it in and charge it every night, if you charge it up every night, you know, you'll be, you'll be good to go for the bulk of your driving. Cause 80% of people drive less than 40 miles a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll be able to get most of your stuff done without using any gas. Uh, and then when it when you do when it does switch over to uh, to gas, you know it still gets pretty decent mileage uh, for for a vehicle this size. <clears throat> so um, that is the 2024 Mazda CX90 plug-in hybrid premium plus package. These names are too long. Yeah. Like, that's a lot in that name. <laughs> yeah. Which car do you got? I don't know. Hyundai something, Mazda <laughs> something or other. Something with letters and numbers. <laughs> yeah, lots of them. Too many of them. All blue. right. I got a blue car. So I dropped off the uh, the Mazda at the airport last weekend when I was f- flying out, uh, getting on my first international flight in quite a few years, <clears throat> uh, heading off to, uh, to Munich for the IAA Mobility Show, uh, which is the successor to the former Frankfurt Motor Show. Nice. Um, and uh, fr- the Frankfurt show is dead. Uh, every other year, on odd years, they have IAA in Munich now, and then on even years, they have the Paris Motor Show um, in in Paris, obviously. Um, and <laughs> no, I'm, I'm well, like there's the... a, no wait. There's a Geneva show that's in Qatar this year. <laughs> exactly. So... Yes. Okay. There we go. <laughs> no one is going to. Everyone's like, no, I'm not going to Qatar. <laughs> Uh, well, there there might you never know. There might be more people there than there are at the Detroit Auto Show this week. Um, oh, gosh! And you know, looking at the schedule for the Detroit Auto Show, it's just so sad. 
It was such a, such, it, it was so big. Once upon a time, it was huge. 2019. Yeah. It was a big deal. It was a BFD. Yeah. It was a big deal, people. And now it's like, what? Is anyone going? Yeah. I mean, IAA was actually a pretty good sized show. A lot of companies there. Um, interestingly, um, I'm going to pause here for a second. I'm looking at Robbie's picture. Is it snowing in your office? Where is that? What is no, that? it's just dusty. I oh. have the window open all the time. My okay. So the sun, the sun shines right through. All of a sudden, you're right. Like right behind my computer is my window. So the sun shines right Anybody through. Anybody watch Stranger Things? It's like yeah, he's in the upside down in Stranger Things. So I'm moving. And so, but I have the window open all the time because the catio is right there outside of my office. So the cats can get in and out. But I have a big, you know, I have a big plot of dirt in my land <laughs> behind my house and so it gets dusty in my office so i'm constantly dusting and it's never enough That's and i'm all i'm doing is i'm moving things because i have band practice right after we're done i have to run off the band practice and i realize i need to grab the incorrect lyrics for this band <laughs> so i turned around and i grabbed a i grabbed something off my shelf and the sh the thing has been on the shelf for about a week but in that week it's created dust and it created <laughs> A snowy effect in my office. So. Okay. Anyway, uh, as I was saying, <laughs> there was a lot of automakers at IAA. <laughs> big, big show, much bigger show than what we're going to see in Detroit this week. Um, there was a, a bunch of uh, product reveals, uh, several concepts, um, and and even the concepts that we saw are very strong previews of upcoming new new products. Um, they had. Some ride and drive programs available. You know, they have a whole public part of the show out in the Odeonsplatz plots in Munich, and you know, kind of in the city center, uh, which they've been trying to do that with the Detroit show, and I don't know how effective it's really been um, to get people more involved. Interestingly, everything, all pretty much all every vehicle I saw at the show was electrified it was either pure battery electric or it was a plug-in hybrid um there were i didn't see any pure gas vehicles on display anywhere wow. certainly nothing that was announced um and you know this is especially in europe this is the the way everything's going um so from that perspective it is a little different from what we're going to see in detroit this week um but uh you know the other thing that was interesting about the the show was <clears throat> there was a lot of Chinese brands. I think there were seven Chinese brands being displayed there. Um, um, and even among some of the brands that were not traditional Chinese brands, um, some of them were built in China, uh, like one that I got a chance to drive for the first time, the Lotus Elettra. Um, Lotus's first, uh, well, not their first electric vehicle because that's the Avaya supercar. <laughs> But they, it's their first sort of semi-mainstream EV. It's a crossover. It's their first crossover, their first you know non-sports car. Right. Um, and um, uh, you know this is built. Lotus is owned by Geely now, the Geely Group, which also owns Volvo and Polestar um, and Zeker and a whole bunch of other Chinese brands. And also, I think about fifteen percent of Mercedes-Benz oh, wow. uh, now. Um, so Geely Group is – I posted something on LinkedIn um, while I was in, in, uh, in Germany. Uh, I pulled up a, a photo from when I first saw a Geely vehicle at the Detroit Auto Show in 2008, and it was this coupe 
that looks kind of like an old Hyundai Tiburon. Um, but less, less, that's less well a while built. Uh, and uh, it was, you know, at that time, you know, there was, there was Geely and I think BYD was there and another, one other Chinese company. I think GAC might have been there. One, it was one other Chinese company that was at, at the Detroit Shell. And none of these looked particularly impressive. Nobody was really taking them too seriously. Yeah. Nowadays, you got to take the Chinese really seriously. Yeah, you do. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's the biggest auto market in the world now, and you know, looking at what they are building, you know, this Lotus Electra, you know, it's electric. The one I drove was the Electra S, uh, which is the mid-level trim. It's six hundred, a little over six hundred horsepower. Um, it was the one that was in the showroom, uh, the, the, the Lotus showroom in, in Munich was priced at 153,000 euros. Um, so this is not an inexpensive car, Yeah. but it is very fast and it's, it's not, it's not even the fastest version. There's also the Electra R, which will have over 900 horsepower, um, and goes zero to 60 in like 2.9 seconds. I had about a half hour in the Electra S no, so you had and, a good amount of time though. Yeah. That's it wasn't just like a quick loop. Yeah. No, it was, you know, I, I drove we drove it from uh from the city center, uh out, did a little bit of Autobahn, you know, and then went to the uh, back to the show hall, which is kind of uh on the outer part of uh Munich. And um it it was a really nice I mean, it feels very premium, very expensive, you know. It feels like if you're going to buy a $150,000 electric SUV, this is what you expect it to feel. So like. if it was on sale in the U.S. right now, not necessarily, that, that's a premium one, but like, would you buy it? Like, would you consider it realistically? I mean, if I had the budget for a $150,000 vehicle? Like you, someone's yeah. giving you $200,000 for like, that's your, that's your new car budget. And you're like, oh, let me see, I can get one of these and then be a cord, I guess. <laughs> Actually, um, I would probably actually not choose the Electra. I would choose the Amaya, which was actually unveiled <clears throat> in New York this week uh, on Thursday of this week. So uh, a couple of days after I drove the Electra in Munich, they, they unveiled the Amaya, which is a four-door GT. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a sedan. And uh, that is probably the one I would take. You know, it's got you know, very you know, same kind of design language as the Electra, uh, but it's uh, you know, it's a little bit lower. You know, I, I don't need to be sitting up high. I, I love the look of the Amaya. Um, or, or I might go for the, uh, the Amira, <laughs> all, all these names, you know, get a little, all bit these crazy of, names, you know, a little bit of onomatopoeia, uh, with, uh, with these names. Um, they, in the, in the Lotus showroom in Munich, there was an Amira sitting there as well, which is their, their last ever internal combustion vehicle. So it's wow. a sports car that replaced the Evora, uh, launched uh, late last year, and um, everything else coming out from Lotus going forward is going to be electric. Um, the Amira <clears throat> has a 400 horsepower supercharged V6 based on a Toyota V uh, 3.5 liter V6, um, and it's it's fabulous. But um, even <clears throat> you know if I'm looking if I was looking if I was in the market for a luxury high performance SUV, I would absolutely consider the Electra. Um, okay. and one of the interesting things about it, you know, it's funny when I, I, I had, I sat down for a conversation with Regis Robert, who is the head of ADAS and, and automated driving for Lotus. 
And you would not think of, you know, when you think of Lotus's heritage of sports cars, it's not the brand that you would associate with automated driving, <laughs> with autonomous right. vehicles. Uh, and yet that's exactly what they're developing. Um, you know, but I, it's funny, I, I actually started my career, my engineering career, working on, you know, some of the first driver assist systems for Lotus. I worked on ABS for the Lotus M100 Elan back in 1990, 91. Wow. And also the X180R Esprit race car. Um, you know, and that was, that was kind of like all they had in terms of driver assist on those vehicles. It was just basic ABS, nothing else. Um, but now, you know, these vehicles are equipped with four LiDAR sensors. Um, uh, let's see, I think there's like 34 sensors altogether, a bunch of ultrasonics. There's six radar sensors, uh, 11 cameras, and, um, you know, the, they're starting off on the Electra with um, it, it, the functionality it has is a hands-on lane centering system, so kind of like the original Nissan ProPilot, but they're going to be doing a lot more as they start to incorporate functionality of all these other sensors and it'll they'll be these cars will be getting uh, over the air software updates over the next several years to add new functionality. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and then I also got to drive the Xiaopeng or Xpeng P7. Uh, depend, you know, the the proper pronunciation is Xiaopeng. Is I was uh, wondering, I literally was looking at the notes. I'm like, I have no idea how to Xiao, say that. Xiaopeng yeah. is, is that really how you say that? Xiao. X is Xiao. So Xiao, like and then it's not. Peng, it's Peng? Yes. Because it's X-P-E-N-G for no yeah, one so it looks to, to someone reading it in English, it looks, looks like, like X-Peng. X-Peng. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's Xiaopeng. Uh, and the P7 um, is their um, sedan. Uh, it's about the same size as a Tesla Model S, uh, but it's about half the price of a Model S. Um, and it's really, really nice. Uh, I was shocked at how good it was uh you know it's feels really solid really uh you know really nice interior um the one i was driving was about fifty thousand euros i think um and uh it's you know it's not as quick as a you know certainly not as quick as a model s plaid or anything like that but it's plenty quick enough uh got lots of features um and it's quite quite pleasant to drive um, and then the, the last one that I spent some time in is the Zeker 001, um, which <clears throat> is another product of the Geely Group. Xiaopong is not part of the Geely Group, but the Zeker 001 is a new brand that Geely launched last year. Um, and the 001 is this five-door hatchback um, that uh, one of the features that it launched with, it's the, the first vehicle to have mobilized supervision system, which is their hands-free driver assist. So something roughly equivalent to GM Super Cruise um, or Ford's Blue Cruise, um, but it's a camera-only based system. And what they did when Mobileye was developing this is they took the um, the camera subsystem from their level four automated driving, from their robo-taxi system, and broke that out and used just the camera subsystem. <clears throat> so this is a a hands-off, eyes-on driving system. And they just pushed out an update to Zeker owners a couple of weeks ago that upgrades the system. So now it can do point-to-point navigation. Uh, so when you pull out uh, on the road, you put in your destination in the, in the nav, and it will 
traverse all those. You can go hands off. Just you just have to watch the road like you do with the other systems, um, and it will take highway interchanges, make turns, go through roundabouts, and it did all of that stuff. It went through several roundabouts, traffic lights, <clears throat> made turns, went from surface streets onto the autobahn um, and back off the autobahn. So basically, when we pulled out of the parking area at the the, the Munich Messe where, where the, the show was, as soon as we pulled out of the parking area, the driver engaged the system and then didn't touch the wheel for the next 40 minutes. And wow. went through all of this stuff flawlessly. Didn't It didn't make any mistakes that I noticed. Uh, he didn't have to intervene at all. Um, never did anything that <laughs> scared me uh, as, uh, as a certain <laughs> other uh, electric car brand uh, does. Um, and, I don't know how they're... Uh... And, and the Zeker, again, was really solid, really nice. This is on the same platform that the new Polestar 4 is going to be on. So it's Geely's uh, SEA platform, which I forget what it stands for, something electric architecture. Um, and uh, that, so we're, that car, the, the Polestar 4, goes into production later this fall, and it'll be coming here to North America early next year. <clears throat> so they've just launched Zeker in, in Europe. Right now, they haven't given any indication that they plan to bring the Zeker brand to the U.S., um, but uh, you know we'll be getting something very similar to this, at least in terms of its hardware, from Polestar uh, early next year. And so those were those were really solid vehicles. Really liked them. Um, and then you know there were some other there was some other stuff that was shown. Um, you you guys saw the VW ID GTI. Don't yes. even get me started until they tell me it's here. <laughs> Robbie's like, no, I will not participate in this conversation. <laughs> I want the, the no. You you bring the car here. You bring the car. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> well, some somebody that uh, participated, somebody I talked to who was in a roundtable with Pablo Desi, who is the head of Volkswagen of, uh, Group of America. And they told uh, Robbie said, to stuff it? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> Pablo Desi was... Um, Indicating, indicating very strongly that this car will be coming to North America. And uh, he's pretty forthcoming. Yeah. I mean, this this car is looks so cool. It's so cute. Uh, you know, it's a little bit smaller than the current Golf, but bigger than Golfs of the past. It's bigger than a current European market Polo, but smaller than a Golf. Um, and this, they've got to bring this here. All we wanted was an e-Golf with more range. That's all we wanted. Yeah. <laughs> That was all that's, we needed. That's it. That's it. all that we wanted. Well, we might we might just be getting that with this uh, ID GTI. Uh, it looks cute. I love yeah. how it looks. It looks fantastic. Yeah, it is. It is fun looking, and uh, I I think it should be a lot of fun to drive. Um, and then there was the Mercedes Vision CLA, um, which is their their next generation um, smaller sedan um, going electric. And I think this this is uh, this is on their new EV architecture, which is supposed to be a lot more efficient than their current one. It's an 800 volt architecture, so it'll charge. Uh, it says it'll charge up to 248 miles in 15 minutes, um, 750 kilometers, 466 miles of range on the WLTP, uh, which should put it somewhere in the between 350 and 370 at least um, on the EPA. Uh, ratings. Um, and uh, what do you think of this one? 
I those like are it. Some I just, wheels. The wheels on that are crazy. I'm trying to get a closer picture of those wheels. Those are funky, man. I just, I just, you know, they had the A class here, and it, no one bought it. And I love the A class so much. Um, so I don't know if I mean, are we going to get it? I mean, they, I just, if you were Mercedes, would you bring another small sedan over after the last one? You're like, we're bringing you the A class, and then no one bought it, and they're like, well, all right, fine. Did they say for sure this is coming here or would come here potentially? I know it's just uh, a concept. But... I don't know if they did. I believe it is coming here. It looks really cool. I should hope so. If, if it... uh, they've they've continued their let's put more lights on the inside because we haven't put enough lights on the inside of the cars we've introduced recently. Like, look at those interior pictures. Wah! There's like a million things that light up in those. Everything lights up. I'm surprised you don't sit down. It's not like it like your feet don't touch the floor and it lights up boom, 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 wherever you tap your feet. It's it's very much like the interior of the EQXX. Yeah. Um, just a little bit more refined. Um, well, keep, keep in I, mind. I mean, most of that stuff isn't going to show up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is this is a concept. It is a concept. Yeah. But it, it gives you a, a you know an indication of the design direction they're going with this, and I do hope that they keep the the front lights on this. Yeah, I yeah. like those. The you know the 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 daytime running laps are actually a, a three pointed star Mercedes yeah, star. Yeah, they're really cool. I bet they won't keep that. I, bet uh, they won't I don't know. I think you they don't think, do you think they'll be allowed. Do you think it breaks? Like I feel like no, lighting uh, is one of those things we're really no, but it's daytime. About. If they're yeah. running lights, yeah, yeah it can be any true. shape they want. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the only the only requirement is that they have to be white. Yeah, they, okay, they, they can't be any other color. Them. For front lights, they have to be white. Except I also want them signals. to keep their the crazy um, the crazy wheels that have the little Mercedes star in it. Yeah, people are going to be sure so angry. Will. You pay that five hundred dollars for that for their light up Mercedes badge on their vehicles. They're going to be like, oh, these people have get it for free. <laughs> yeah, wah wah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I think they're going to bring this here, but even if they don't, you know, we will get other vehicles that are based on this architecture, like probably the next generation GLA uh, crossover will be on the same, you know, and you know, the GLC next gen GLC or EQC, uh, you know, and and other models will all be based on this architecture. So I I think they've they've learned a lot. They learned a lot from that EQXX. Like every time I talk to them about, it, they're like, "We learned this, and like we were able to do this without the modules because we found out that the batteries lasted longer than we anticipated." And just on and on and on with all this stuff. So the EQXX was like really just sort of a testing bed for good everything. learning. Right. Experience. I mean, and and this is kind of the next stage. You know, they've taken the ideas from the EQXX and refined it. You know, to something that's more producible. Yeah. And you know, then you know another year and a half, two years, you know, this something based on this will come to the come to the market. And, uh, you know, this is like, like everything else they've been doing, you know, or like what other manufacturers are doing, they're going to the, the coast to coast screen in here, you know, that stretches across the Ginormous entire dashboard. Screens. Yeah, fine, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> The coast to coast screens. I'm just like, I just don't. <sighs> Do you think it's going to be a fad? Do you think they're going to ease up on those? Like right now, it's the thing, and all of a sudden, it's going to be like, wait a minute, we don't need to do this. We got to ease up that, on this. That, I the, I don't know what the the. I still haven't figured out the like real like long term value for that passenger screen, because everyone has their phone. And I did watch a movie once in the car, like in a, a, a Mercedes, because you could like watch a movie. I was a, as a passenger. 
for a little bit. I watched it for a little bit. And I was like, I guess there's this, but everyone has their phone. Everyone has their iPad. And so it's sort of, hold on, let me put on some other headphones so I can I listen to I think it just the... makes you not feel left out, maybe. It's supposed to make you feel like you're part of the experiencing the car thing. just as much as the driver. It's the driving experience, Robbie. I guess if they have more video games, you, in you, it. you have you have some control, <clears throat> you know, things that you, they can let you do things on the passenger side screen that they don't want to do on the center screen because you know if if it's on the passenger side they know the driver's not going to be reaching over there to do it, to do so it. they can let you do things that you wouldn't do on the center screen because you you don't want the the driver like you know tapping on a keyboard or something. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sure. Obviously, like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't approve. I don't approve. I just, I don't, I, I mean, the, the cost, yeah, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> if they're, I mean, if they're going to be replacing buttons and knobs, and no, I don't like them at all. Um, if they're in addition to like the re, re, you know, return of buttons and knobs for certain uh, features, then sure, fine. If you like, if I'm sure there's people who love them, I just, I cannot. You're not people those in the people. car when I have them, I'm like, hey, look at this. And I try to talk it up and no one cares. <laughs> That's my problem. It's like I can't get other people excited. So I'm just like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> All right. The the other big um, reveal at Munich was the BMW uh, Vision Neue Klasse. Uh, so Neue Klasse, German for new class. They last used this term back in the late 60s. They had uh, the Neue class, which became you know, the BMW 1600 in 2002, that generation of vehicles, and then the subsequent 3 Series and, and the other newer models from, from BMW. Um, and now they brought that back again. You know, it's their next pivot for, for BMW. So this is referring... The this is the car that is probably going to be the next generation three series. It's a brand new, all electric only platform. It's not a flexible platform like the ones they're using today for the uh, the i five and the i seven and and some other vehicles. Um, and this you know this is basically the same design that we saw at CES in January for the the Vision D concept. That was that was the one that was covered with colored uh, e-ink uh, surfaces. Right. Um, the the e-ink is gone, but the basic shape of this is the same. Well, and, they have an yeah. e-ink strip along the the window. Yeah, um, so, it's, so it's not completely gone. It's just ninety nine point nine 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 percent. Yeah, gone. all the all the exterior <laughs> e-ink is gone. Um, actually, I don't know that that in, I don't think that interior one is even e-ink. Is it? I'm trying um, to get I'm a closer sure look not. at I think, it. I think it's actually projected. Oh, so the, it's what's inside the on the yeah. The it's dash? more. It's more like a heads-up display. It's a oh, new. Yeah. yeah, I'm talking about the wind. The, the side windows. Oh, there's a, sorry. There's yes. An e ink strip there. Yeah, you're right. That that does have e ink. Um, so what do you think of this design? I saw it in Germany like months and months ago. Um, it looks way cooler in person than it maybe I think people have, I think online are like, eh, but you know, this is the last, um, vision that we're, we're going to see from BMW before they show a production vehicle. So there, this is pretty close to what we're going to see. I mean, obviously some of the lighting stuff's going to change, you know, you got to make it so it's legal <laughs> to drive around. Uh, pesky uh, law. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you know, but I, you know, BMW is what they're what they're doing and i think i don't think people talk enough about is is bmw and how they're doing their um 
they're they're looking towards making sure that these vehicles are easier to recycle than than previously before. We're tr they're trying not to mix too many elements together, which makes it more difficult to recycle. So you have that. Then also you have this like brand new, well, based on the old uh, design language, and the grill is not giant. So you got that going for you. So I'm a big fan. Yeah, I like that the grill is not that in-your-face, out-of-control, just, hello, we're a grill car that they had going on for a little while. I kind of like the style on this. It looks kind of cool. I, I'm really curious to see how close what they actually produce. Like you said, this is this is not exactly what we're going to get, so it's going to change up. I hope – I'd like to see this design stay pretty intact. It looks pretty neat. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, no, and and it looks really good in person. Uh, mm -hmm. so I, you know, I saw it on the show floor in Munich. It it looks great. Um, you know, I think it's it's a nice tidy size. You know, I I would love to, you know, have have a three series that looks a lot like this. Um, mm -hmm. And I I think you know, especially the the front and rear lighting. I think it's actually going to be extremely close to this because um, you know they can do they can do a lot of interesting stuff with modern lighting technologies that. Um, uh, you know, allow them to do stuff like this that doesn't look like a traditional headlamp, but you know, with the um, with the projection systems they've got with LEDs, you know, they can create you know idealized patterns on the on the ground for lighting up the environment. So I think I think this is going to be very close to to what we see, and they've also gone with a much simpler interior design too. Um, you know, it gets rid of the um, the traditional um, I drive center controller, you've got a touch screen. Um, but you know, there's also new voice control systems and you've got this, um, this, uh, full width, uh, heads up display across the base of the windshield. So even though there isn't a traditional cluster in front of the driver, you actually have the display directly in front of the driver. Plus there's information on the other side for the passenger. Um, you know, it's not, it's not a. It's not high enough to be used as, um, uh, as, as you know, for watching videos or anything for the passenger. Uh, they'll have to revert to using their their mobile devices for that. But you know, you can display a lot of information across there, and it's close to your dri the driver's line of sight, but um, not. You know, and and you can see it in in all kinds of lighting conditions. So there's that, uh, and I think. This is going to be very interesting, you know, and there's a lot of other new technologies in this thing, <clears throat> like the um, uh, new a new battery system, new motors that are supposed to make the, the Noya class a lot more efficient. And even for the vehicles that aren't built directly on the, the Noya class platform, the technologies like the battery and the motors and the power electronics are going to be used in other vehicles. So BMW right now is building a new battery plant adjacent to their their uh, factory in Spartanburg, South Carolina, um, and those the batteries and the motors and everything are going to be used also in some of their flexible platform EVs like the next gen X5 and and other stuff that's built in Spartanburg. Um, so and and note BMW is switching from the prismatic cells that they use today, which are rectangular rectangular cells to um, 46 millimeter cylindrical cells, um, which are the, the same same diameter as the ones that um, Tesla is using now for some of their vehicles. They look but like giant AA batteries. Yeah, 
<laughs> but they're 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 actually taller. The 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 Tesla cells are forty six millimeter diameter by eighty millimeters long. BMW is using ninety five and one hundred and twenty millimeter cells, uh, depending on the application. Uh, so they'll be even even bigger than the Tesla cells. So they it's it's impressive like what BMW's done, especially you know they're using these motors without the permanent magnets in it because they're like, well, that's just one more thing that we have to deal with when it comes to to tracking like where this stuff comes from. And everyone else was just like, well, you, you're not going to get the efficiency, you're not going to get the power out of them out of these motors, and BMW did it. I remember I had an auto I, when BMW announced it at an event. I wrote it up, it went up, and I immediately got a text message from another automaker saying, "How are they doing this?" <laughs> I literally texted him like, I, "I guess they are." He's like, "Are they really doing this?" I'm like, "Yes, they are." Yeah, you know, I mean, traditionally, um, you know, uh, AC induction motors have been a little less efficient than permanent magnet motors, but they're cheaper to manufacture, and. BMW found a way to get induction motors that were actually as efficient or more efficient than permanent magnet motors, keep that cheaper manufacturing cost. Um, and I know, you know, when I've driven the i4 and, and others, you know, they are surprisingly efficient. I mean, they're as good as anything with yeah. permanent magnet motors. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's you know, they, and, and you know, most of those, those rare earth magnets, they're from one, one source. And if that source says, you know what, we don't feel like selling them this month, or we're not going to do as many, or we're, you know, there's a tariff that we don't like, then you're an automaker who's sort of like stuck with dealing with that one source. Yep. <laughs> Which is China. <laughs> China is like most of the most of the permanent, uh, the rare earth magnets come from China. And if you, yeah, and BMW doesn't have to worry about that. They can like, oh, fine, we're we're cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, there was also other good news that came out this week about BMW. Um, they've decided to drop their idea of trying to charge a subscription for heated seats. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> for every good idea, there's a bad idea, people. <laughs> so yeah, that was I don't I, I don't know how they thought like people were gonna people because first of all, when that happens, this is the same thing that happens with, with GM where the story comes out, people don't read the story, they just see the headline. And so everyone thought GM was dropping CarPlay right then and there. Everyone thought that if they bought a BMW in the United States, they were going to get charged for heated seats, which isn't true. But still, it doesn't make it the idea any worse. It's just that's how people read. And so I think once the once it came out and everyone lost their minds, they're like, fine, fine. Yeah, well, I mean, they were only test marketing this in a few in a few countries in the UK, Germany, New Zealand, South Korea and South Africa. Those are the only places where they were trying this subscription for the seats. And it did not go over well with customers, just <laughs> just as it didn't go over well when they tried to charge eighty dollars a year for access to Apple CarPlay a few years back, and they yeah, dropped that, that idea. Yeah, there was a lot of pushback. Every time I had a BMW, I would mention it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, now uh, so they're they're getting rid of that. You're still we're still going to see subscriptions for features like Ford is charging a subscription fee for Blue Cruise now, and start instead of you know a one time. Uh, fee, but uh, and and you're going to see it, you know, things like that from other manufacturers. But it's not going to be for the kinds of stuff that we have traditionally just bought once when you buy the car. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of weird software things that you probably won't use every day. Yeah. So once a year, like oh, I need Blue Crew because I'm, I'm Nicole and I'm going to Disneyland again. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 again. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. Um, let's answer. We got one listener question this week from Andrew Pappas. Um, Andrew says, uh, as far as regular tire rotation, my experience is that Volvo does not rotate tires as part of the standard maintenance program, um, which seems really kind of ridiculous to me because, yeah. you know, when you've got the car up on a hoist in the, in the shop, you know, well, it's, just... it's like 10 minutes at best to rotate the four tires. Well, they don't um, have to rotate tires in Sweden all that much because all the snow. So the tires don't really wear down. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, and, and, you know, everybody know, there it uses winter tires and they, you know, they rotate them when they swap the winter and summer tires out. Yeah. I, they, I know it doesn't snow in Sweden all the time. I've been to Sweden yeah. multiple times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> before this, before anyway, those of you in Sweden, Sweden, your hate mail address is I love, I love Sweden. The Swede people are just wonderful people. Yeah. I love, <laughs> I love Sweden the, too. Oh, it's so great. Go to Sweden. Just, just got to watch out for the moose. Uh, and the reindeer. Yeah. And reindeer. Anyway, um, Andrew says, I had a 2018 S90 T5 all-wheel drive. They asked if I wanted to pay $35 to rotate tires. I decided to do it every other oil change, roughly 10,000 miles per oil change, according to the computer's um, notifications. I got about 60,000 miles out of those Continentals, surprised that they only got uh, 10,000 out of the rears and wondering about driving style. So we, we actually had another question a couple of weeks ago related to this as well um, from um, from Michael Burns, who had uh, the XC60 recharge, the plug-in hybrid. Um, and so uh, in, in this case here, you know, what Andrew had, well, let me finish reading this here. Uh, oh, and uh, that 2018 has over 300,000 miles on it now. I ran it as a limo in the Boston area, and now my brother is, uh, I've replaced it with a 23 S90 B6. So wow, the, the, the difference from the, the letter we had a couple of weeks ago from Mr. Burns um, that was com complaining that he only got 10,000 miles on the rear tires of his XC60 plug-in hybrid, that XC60 had, was, um, you know, had electric drive on the rear axle. Uh, the way the all-wheel drive system is set up, it's the, the engine drives the front wheels, electric motor drives the rear wheels. And so with electric drive, there's a lot more strain on the tires from the, mm -hmm. that instant torque. Uh, and if you don't rotate the tires, you are going to wear out the, those tires a lot faster. Um, the, this 2018 S90 T5 all-wheel drive is just a traditional internal combustion mechanical all-wheel drive system. So it's got similar amount of strain on the tires on all four corners. Uh, so it would be expected that you would probably get a lot more. You, you don't necessarily need to rotate them as frequently. You probably want to do it more than every 20,000 miles because uh, he said he was doing it every other oil change with 10,000 miles between changes. So you probably want to do it more than 20,000 miles, maybe every oil change. Um, but, you know... It's, Getting sixty thousand miles, yeah, that's that's, that's about not right. Bad. Yeah. yeah, pretty good. You know, uh, if you just don't care about traction, you can get into you know eighty thousand, one hundred twenty thousand. <laughs> yeah, traction I mean, totally overrated. Who needs know, it? Bald, yeah. bald, bald tires in Boston. What could go wrong? Yeah, totally yeah. fine. See that totally. working out really well. I, I was actually walking through a parking lot the other day when I went to the store, and I saw um, what was, oh, it was uh, an older Ford Escape, and the the wheels were turned slightly and I, I looked at the the front tire and i saw that the entire inner half of the tread was showing cord oh god yeah, yeah. so that's, that's grip that's extra grip <laughs> that's extra grip <laughs> not not only was this 
was this driver clearly not rotating tires, but they all were also in serious need of an alignment. An alignment, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't bother to look at the other four tires, but I'm I'm guessing they were not You're in very You're too terrified. You're like, that person's going to be on the road with me. Let's go. Let's go. Everyone yeah, in the car. Sure in the car. Go, go. Get you got to get out of the parking lot first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to get away uh, from this person. So that's that's it for this week. I did um, go to uh, an event with Acura the other day uh, where I saw uh, I had a chance to sit down with John Wong, the chief engineer on the Acura ZDX, which is the the Acura version of uh, the Cadillac Lyric, uh, and Andrew Foster, uh, the uh, ZDX design manager. Um, And I will put those on here at the end after we say goodbye. Um, And if you are a patron, uh, we want to thank all of you who are supporting us on Patreon. Um, you guys already had these interviews uh, in your in your private feed, uh, as well as another one that I did with uh, Stefan Hartung, who's the uh, CEO of Bosch. Um, and that interview and some others that I did in Germany will be coming to uh, patrons over the next week or so, and then coming into the main show sometime after that. Cool. Uh, so that is nice. one of the advantages of of uh, being a patron is you get uh, a lot of these interviews and stuff early. Get stuff early. Sneak yep. peeks. Yep. Sneaky peeks. All right. Uh, anything else from you guys? Nothing nah. for me. All right. Well, we'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Hey, everyone. Uh, this week... Acura brought the new ZDX electric crossover to Detroit uh, for us to take a look at. And I had a chance to sit down with chief engineer John Wong and design manager Andrew Foster. Uh, First up, here is my conversation with John Wong. Um, I'll start off with um, the ZDX first electric vehicle from the Acura brand, fully fully electric. You've done some hybrids before. Um, And you've partnered with General Motors to use their Ultium architecture. What um, what have you been able to do with the ZDX to make it distinct from the Cadillac Lyric, which is the obvious one, <clears throat> excuse me, when you look at the specs, clearly shares a lot underneath. But what what is unique on the ZDX to separate it from the GM products? Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the design is completely different. Yeah. Um, so we were given freedom to do that. Um, and also the dynamics you'll see, uh, when you get to drive the car is very different. So we, we kind of collaborated with General Motors and we brought up, you know, MDXs and RDXs and we kind of benchmarked them together and kind of explained what makes a Acura feel like an Acura. And kind of, then we agreed on what things we could change or tear it. So that way it drove like a accurate one. So that it's not a foreign kind of experience when the driver goes from a RGX to a ZDX, for example. So, so we've used that development time in the last few years to really work on that. So we've had chassis or tuning experts from Japan and Ohio come up and spend time here to work with General Motors engineers to tune it at their uh, proving ground. Mm-hmm. And the same person who signs off on all the accuracy in Ohio, Lake Robinson, also signs off on this car. So all the dynamic, so that way all the dynamic feeling is the same. So uh, you know, driving dynamics has uh, clearly been an important uh, aspect of Acura products for a long time. Uh, I know, you know over, over time, having driven quite a few Acura vehicles with super handling, all-wheel drive, so, you know, always done amazing things to help those dynamics. What, um, what were you able to utilize, especially since this is an EB 
it's a lot more software defined than with a traditional internal combustion vehicle. What kind of freedom did that give you to do things and, and either to kind of replicate the DNA of what you expect of an Acura or perhaps go in a new direction? Yeah, uh, great question. Like the, the throttle mapping was interesting to do. Um, so we were given a lot of freedom to experiment and uh, come up with one that really felt, gave you that wave of torque kind of, you know, instead of building up like in an ice car. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun to play with. And the bandwidth that was available to change and with each, you know, we, we can't demonstrate it here, but there's multiple modes. And in each mode, we can really change a lot of the variables to really give a differentiated feeling. So that, that was really empowering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about um, yeah, in other areas of the the suspension? I think you mentioned uh, in the discussion earlier air air springs, and then we have adaptive dampers, um, and they're all linked to the uh, the different dynamic modes. Okay. And uh, um, in terms of the you know one of the one of the advantages potential advantages you get out of an EV is you have that that mass of the battery that's down low in the platform. Uh, so it helps bring down the, the center of gravity. Um, but of course, you know, it also tends to make the vehicle heavier. How, how did you balance those things out? And how, how does that work out for you? Yeah, to, we, to we, off? yeah I mean, that, that's part of the Ultium platform. So that's kind of a set hardware set. Mm-hmm. Um, so then to get the rest of the performance out of the car, like range um, and the uh, dynamics, you kind of have to set the arrow and the mass targets, right? So we really worked hard on the top hat that that um, Acura was fully responsible for to make sure we met all those targets. So it was really a, actually it was a really interesting collaboration. So Andy, uh, you know, the designer that mm-hmm. you met, he and I had meetings with GM Aerodynamics every week. Mm-hmm. So the, the design, the surfacing, the beautiful surfacing came from Acura Studio in LA, but we tuned it together with General Motors in Warren Tech Center in their wind tunnel. I mean, it was really fun. And we went there, we supported the testing in, in to meet because, you know, so they, they had targets. So then we met to, do, met to do that. And, you know, we collaborated like GM's kind of best practices on how to make something more aerodynamic, on Acura's best practices on how to do it. And we just blended it all together to make the car. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, presumably the the propulsion system software is largely based on, on yeah. what GM's done and be able to up into your tuning. But what about the software and the rest of the vehicle? And the other, other elements of the- Yeah, I mean, you'll see um, when you get a chance to drive the car and experience the car a bit more that um, the, the interface, the HMI, will look and feel like a, an Acura. So it's all the graphics. And the way they're shown and um, kind of the position of all the information, and that is, um, that was designed by our studio uh, designers, our, our user experience designers in, the, in LA. Yeah. But the, what do you want to call it? The architecture, the platform of the uh, software is. Okay. So, yeah. uh, but I mean, I, even like the infotainment platform, is that still, is that also based on uh, what GM had in their architecture? Okay. But with, but with your cannot. Yeah, because some of the hardware is uh, different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see that, you know, if you compare it to the Lyric, we do have different 
switches or like displays and things. So it, the way they're combined and used, like, yeah, I mean, like you have a, a switch for the glove box or to open the glove box uh, without having to dig through a menu. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there are some things that you can see that we didn't want to. Um, we didn't necessarily want to make a science fiction car. We wanted something that's relatable, relatable and something that a current RDX or MDX customer could jump right into and be, feel familiar, know how to use it, and just enjoy the drive. And, mm -hmm. and, and doing things, other things kind of distracts from that. So yeah. try to keep it simple and uh, a focus on the design. Uh, I know for one thing that is not in this vehicle that has been in other recent Acura vehicles is that precision trackpad. Was there any thought to trying to incorporate that in the interior of this vehicle? You know, we 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 talked about or we talked about or we discussed um, more input solutions to the screen, but the um, the Altium platform has a shifter on the console, so that really kind of freed up the console space. So we thought, why put the why put the uh, trackpad there or the or the um, the dynamic mode controller? Why don't we free this console space up for real you know customer usability? So we kind of made that decision to move away from it and just let touch and voice be the uh, main interface. Um, and you know, with Google built in, you really it, it it works. Yeah, I've, I've, I haven't yet driven the the new Accord, but I've driven a number of other vehicles, yeah, including yeah. several GM vehicles yes. with yeah. the, the the Android Automotive platform with uh, with gas. So it, it definitely works works really well. Um, are there what what um, are, are there any things that you would have liked to have done with this car and that you weren't able to achieve? Really, if you can bang it, it's about flipping it twice and twice. Have a ludicrous load? No, just... <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't need that. Um, Actually, that, you know, in the, almost no one needs yeah, that. Um, yeah, you know, in the... And then those... I mean... I, I let, me, really, let me rephrase the question yeah. a little bit. From the development of this vehicle, you know, yeah, first EV for the Acura brand, are there any lessons that you took away from this? That you can that will be carried forward into the development of other new vehicles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Accurate. Yeah, the kind of the the kind of the platform. What what an electric car when you drive it, that experience is so I don't know how to say so quiet. You know, so smooth, and and that really highlights the sounds of everything else in the car. So you really have to pay attention to that. As we rattle, you really have to pay attention to the sounds that each widget makes. And it is, it is truly amazing what you pick up now because there's no engine idling or... There are a lot of things that would have gotten masked by the yeah. powertrain in the yeah. past. Some, something shaking in the console you would have never thought for the ventilated seat fan. Like, you would have never heard it. But now you do, so you have to take remediation, and, and and that's a big lesson because you 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 know people are always worried about masks and things, but you have to make it hard quiet because that's the value. I mean, that's truly that experience. You know, the one pedal driving and that smooth, quiet feeling, and the powerful acceleration at highway. I mean, it's really really empowering. Actually, I love driving it. 
I love the one pedal mapping is so great. And this, I've, I've driven it without touching the brake pedal. And it, it's such an interesting experience. It is really, a, a, I think what customers really expose and, and you know, it's, it's interesting you bring up one pedal because um, different manufacturers have different approaches yeah. to that problem. Some are very much, you know, they're, they're willing to give drivers, you know, everything in terms of, you know, from yeah. basically traditional replicating an ICE yeah. coasting to, you know, full on one pedal, yeah. bring the car to a stop. And others, you know, not, not willing to go quite that far. Uh, like, for example, I, I just got back from Germany uh, for IAA. And I had a chance to actually spend a little bit of time driving the new Lotus Electro. And, and they did not go down that path. You can't get that kind of really strong regen. And, and um, did you change anything in that area from what GM has done in their vehicles? Or, or? Oh, we, we didn't because their, their setting was so good. Yeah. The, um, and you have the paddle to control the amount of input. Um, and, you know, obviously you can have it off for for freewheeling or no yeah. coasting, but you can set the regen levels, including one pedal. And the tuning was so natural, we didn't we didn't want to mess with it. Okay. Yeah. Um, the um, the um, this is the first vehicle from Acura that has the uh, Acura Watch 360 Plus, hands free. Uh, how did you? change anything in there in terms of the, the feel or the, the way it operates from GM's super, original Super Cruise implementation? The, the user experience or the graphics are unique and different. Um, some of the sensor positionings are different just based on the design, but the functionality will be, um, will be similar. It'll be, it's based on the submerged uh, decks. Uh, so same, same level of like, things like Automatic overtaking and yeah, you have automatic and lane change and the, uh, yeah, automatic lane change and uh, return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, great. Um, is there anything else um, you know that that you got out of this program you know or or that that is special about this vehicle that you want to highlight? I mean, it's a combination, right? The design is wonderful in real life. The car looks so great. That's a great color, by yeah, the way. That blue. Excellent range, and I mean the cool interior. Take that Bang and Olufsen system when you get to mm-hmm. when you get to listen to it. This car is not tuned right, but or tuned to the final production spec. But when you listen to it, it's fantastic. And and what a great choice you guys decided to partner with them. <laughs> so that Bale Sonic, I mean it it is wonderful. It is so clear and the the sound stages though bright. It, fantastic. So I'm really proud of that bang and system. And to do it, and to do it it's, it's a, in a collaboration. And the and and kind of the electrical architecture, because it's kind of the EV platform or the Ultium platform, it's kind of, you know, our, our partner's kind of wheelhouse, right? Mm-hmm. But we were able, because we said this is our brand direction, this is what we have to do. They work with us, and it has, I think not just the it's not just a testament testament to how good Bang Olufsen is, or how well we place the speakers or any tuned it. It's that Honda and GMO together, not it. We wouldn't have happened if either side didn't want to do it, right? So I'm so proud of that we did that, and it took a long time to 
negotiate source and, and all this stuff. But, but you know, it was, and it was, it was kind of a, I don't want to say a late ad, but it wasn't at the, from the beginning of the program plant. Uh-huh. So it took a lot of recovery or activity to get it done. And uh, once you listen to it, you'll be, you'll be blown away. It's amazing. Yeah. And last thing, I, um, now that you've done this program, uh, and the, the prologue presumably is you know nearing completion as well, and getting ready for launch. Do you do you foresee potentially continuing? I mean, obviously Honda and Acura have your own internal platforms that you're developing, but is is there opportunities for more collaboration with GM, with Altium, or in in other areas? Yeah, I mean, it's, we've, we've we've made some announcements about our intention and what we might end up doing with General Motors in the future, but he's not really in a position to talk. Yeah, about I, 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 I'm not in yeah, those kind we, of meetings. Okay. <laughs> Fair yeah. So we did announce that we had, um, you know, some potential future collaboration. Or right, on a smaller, yeah. Season, yeah. Um, but beyond that, we haven't really talked about anything specific with GM. I mean, obviously, yeah. we do have a joint venture with them with fuel cell development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, SDSM, which is not yeah. far down the street from here. Um, we have a new CRV cell launching that will have that module in it and some other things. I don't know if there's a lot on the side, but no big product announcements to make today. So last thing, any final thoughts, things you want people to think about when uh, and they consider the ZMX, you know, why, why should people consider this over other and electric crossovers or SUVs. Yeah, and, and I would I would come back to the, the highlights, right? The the design that looks new and fresh like an EV, but at the same time matches with the rest of the lineups and great range and great dynamic performance. But lastly, something you know, I, I hope you saw when you saw the the real car, not just in photos, the size and the scale of the car, right? I mean, it's literally it's exactly what people want and need. Like, I mean, so we didn't try to make something super small or some sort of little hatchback or anything like that. We wanted actual size of vehicle that people wanted to, people buy today and use. So I feel like we're hitting all the market needs and, and customers can just get in and start enjoying right away. We don't have to, we, they don't have to learn how to open the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. And now here's my conversation with Acura ZDX design manager, Andrew Foster. Nice to meet you as well. Uh, all right. So, you uh, led uh, overall design of the ZDX. Um, yeah. And I guess first question would be, you know, you, um, you're sharing an architecture on this vehicle with um, the Cadillac Lyric. Um, how much flexibility did you have in terms of the the profile of the car, the hard points, out, you know, see the underbody hard points uh, are fixed for you know that that architecture. But you know, moving a pillars around, things like that, door apertures. How much how much flexibility did you have there? Um, so you're right. You just said um, from a platform standpoint, there's pretty much no flexibility. But from a design execution standpoint, we had a lot of flexibility. Um, we were limited on basic A-pillar touchdown, some of those key um, architecture hard points just as they're connected to the platform. Mm-hmm. But in terms of everything else, it was a bike sheet for us. So the overall length, there's variance and height. That was all down to the execution of the theme for the CD heights. So we had quite a bit of freehand in casting. One of the questions I like to ask to fighters in recent years as they're 
working on electric vehicles. And traditionally with internal combustion, you know, vehicles got a face that is in part driven by certain functional requirements, obviously lights, you know, the grill, you know, for airflow, things like that. As you move to electric, some of that, and particularly the grill area that has been often been one of the brand defining elements of a vehicle base, uh, is no longer needed, at least not to the same degree. What, how, how did, how, how did you feel about tackling that problem of how to incorporate accurate design DNA, but try to move forward and you know, not just ha- have a, like a blanked off grill? Great question. Uh, I think when we started out, we wanted this product to be recognizable as an Acura. So that was first and foremost in the team's mind. So we started by looking at the signature design elements, like the chicane DRL, the open pentagon grill, uh, dual exhaust on the Type S and features like that and said, okay, what do we feel we can evolve as we move to this first step in our electrification journey? And what do we need to significantly change to communicate its performance behind an even year? Um, going back to the overall themes, a lot of the design elements on our ICE products are singular in nature. So it's the chicane DRL, whether it's the grill, whether it's the lower opening. We wanted to bring all those elements together with the ZDX and have an overall facial image. And that's where the um, concept of the illuminated seamless pentagon grill, you have the seamless uh, read of the pentagon that flows into the chicane DRL. And one of the reasons we made sure the chicane DRL was on the top and it was more prominent was to get that seamless read from the grill into the, uh, the chicane DRL. So we had found that. Especially at night, you're going to know this is one big signature. It's an Acura. Something different about it. It's not completely out there and unrecognizable. So that was the first step in terms of the fascia evolution. The second was how to communicate performance. So this is um, something we started to explore with the Acura Precision EV concept that we debuted in Monterey in 2020. And we spoke a lot about a particle glitch theme, front and rear. Uh, obviously, that was a concept. Uh, we wanted to move forward with more of a production-orientated theme, and that's where the heat sink design leverage came from for the ZDNs. So we still get this low, wide, powerful stance, but it's also very functional up front. You have this kind of interesting design element that is not what you typically expect uh, on an ICE product. So the customer's looking and going, I get it, but there's something different here. What What's going on? It feels performance, but it feels functional at the same time. And we carried that theme onto the rear of the car as well because we didn't have the same design enablers like the quad exhaust that you get on a Type S. We still, you know, good design is good design no matter whether it's an IC or a EV. You mm-hmm. still need great proportion, great stance, good wheel to body. And the, the heating theme on the rear allowed us to really stance the car out, get that performance feeling of like there's something purposeful in the of the car, but it's not the traditional quad exhaust. And it's interesting, you know, seeing this in person now for the first time, looking at it, and I've seen and, and driven the Lyric, and, you know, the dimensions are effectively the same. Yeah, he has slight variations, but almost exactly the same. And yet, looking at this, it does, it does create that visual uh, appearance of looking lower and wider than, it, than the, the Lyric is. Um, even though it's, yeah, I know 
rationally it's the same, but to you know, my brain is processing it differently. And um, so, can you talk a little bit about more about how you achieved that? Um, it's the combination of all the above yeah. that you've you've talked about. We still came back to the roots of what Acura is. It's emotional. The first point of contact for the customer is the exterior design, and it's really we got to prioritize that. It still has to feel performance, and that's where the emphasis on the lower wide, especially for the Type S with the all black roof. You know, you really get that sense of this this mid water line. You get yeah. graphic separation, and I think that allowed the design team graphically and instantly to effectively change the perception of the proportion to test it because we did. Um, so it, it was through graphics, it was through surfacing, and obviously the 22-inch wheels. Yeah. Oh, that helps. Sir. That helps. Sir. But yeah, and I think, you know, that the the horizontal uh, li- lines of the, the lighting, for example, versus vertical on the other one, uh, yeah, I think that that's probably part of it as well. You mentioned earlier uh, particle glitch is something that you did and the, the concept, the precision concept. Yep. Can you explain a little bit more what that is? In the EV era, I think there's there's more opportunity than we've ever had from a design standpoint to explore new details, surface execution, and how to interact and incorporate technology into that as well. So it's really the first step in our journey to say, what is different? What are the second and third read details going to be like in an EV era? And how do they relate to Acura as a brand? So we, we still have to, at least for me, be somewhat consistent to begin with with people understanding it's still an Acura and you touched on you know the Cadillac has the vertical theme Acura has always been a worldwide powerful stance and we wanted to embrace that that was further so it's really the, the team's constantly exploring the what if of those kind of elements and sure. that was our first attempt to really show it's yeah. ill performance you still got the, the feeling of big intakes at the front of a car but it's different there's, there's more technology in there there's more i don't want to say sculpted but it is sculpted yeah yeah all right so let's talk about the interior um and yeah, again a very different kind of feel from the other car uh very much more i guess to our degree what i would expect from a modern acura what what was the thinking around the interior design? Um, so to start with, we built on the dual experience concept with the interior. Uh, it's still a driver-focused product, and that interior design language allowed us to evolve the driver-focused experience with the interior. Um, some people may think, why don't we have a big widescreen? We have a meter, and that still connects at least for me, back to that driver experience. It's still, whether it's an ICE or an EV, Hacker is still a performance brand. It's the emotional connection to the dynamic experience as well as the visual experience. And that was really the starting point for the And And as someone who has never particularly been a fan of touchscreens in cars that you have to drive, uh, I'm, I'm just fine with that. That's, yeah, uh, have, having, having screens that span the entire dashboard not so sure about that. For us, it was all about the drive, you know, still focusing on that overall driver experience. Okay. Um, and then, you know, the, the packaging of this vehicle, you know, one of the advantages of working from a, a dedicated EV platform as compared to, say, BMW, you know, we've done a lot of flexible platforms. Mm-hmm. You, you've got some advantages there. 
uh, in terms of in terms of how you package it to maximize the space for the people in, inside the the vehicle. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak too much to that because it's not my area of expertise. But again, it, it all. Um, we still want, from a packaging standpoint, the overall profile of the car to be performance-driven, sleek, uh, dynamic, impactful, but still have the expected um, usability that you associate with an Acura product, but at least from a second-row um, standpoint. And I just got to say, thank you for putting uh, a button or lever or something to open the glove box without having to go into the touchscreen. Yeah. But you're welcome. Much appreciated. I'll pass that one to the interior designer. I know. The first time I sat in the, the Lyric, you know, I was sitting in there with Chubba Chetta. I don't know if you know Chubba. No, I don't. And we're, we're looking around trying to figure out how to open the glove box. So we just spent about 10 minutes with it. And sometimes the, the simple things are the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah those little details. Yeah. So uh, good, good to see that you're know, still focusing on, on the driver, even, even as this vehicle starts to incorporate things sure. like hands-free driving capability. It's still all about the driver that's vertical and it's usability at the end of the day as well so you still have to live with this product on a daily basis mm-hmm. so the glove box yeah usually you want to get in there and and do what you need to do so okay yeah any final thoughts on you know what you may have learned from doing this first Acura electric vehicle and you know kind of what lessons you might take forward into future products and you know, what 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 things you might want to build on um that's a really great question. I think it showed me and the design team this is an exciting time. The opportunities are there to be taken. Um, I won't say throw caution to the wind, but I think we can ask ourselves more questions of how we do things and how we execute things, especially from an exterior theatrics. And that that's only going to you know, get better and better as we move forward. So when the traditional enablers and requirements aren't there, then we're asking the questions of what is the brand? Where is it going? What do we want to communicate from a brand perspective? What are legacy foundational things we want to build on? And what is all new? And I think they're the questions we're asking internally as we undertake you know, future concept and development. Okay. Great. Thank you so much for your Thank time. You. You're welcome. Nice to talk to you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.